The world is in lockdown. We're going to be asking, where is Jesus from John 16? And I'll share a few thoughts on the coronavirus. My name's Tom Abib, and you're listening to The Word Grows. Okay, well, it's pretty crazy what's happening in the world right now, isn't it? Um, We're in lockdown over here in the UK. Uh, I think in Australia, um, pretty much the same thing is happening now. And wherever you are in the world uh, listening to this, I imagine um, similar sort of things are happening. Um, Lots of panic, um, lots of scary stuff. The virus is spreading. People are dying. And and it can feel pretty overwhelming. and and uh, even just the change in in lifestyle of having to to be at home now, um, whatever your situation, uh, it is. It's it's a scary time, uh, and it's a full on time for a lot of people. Um, and so I was meant to take a break from doing the podcast. I was going to leave it for a couple of months so I could get some work done um, or, or finish off uh, some work that I need done for a submission in May. Um, but with everything going on, I thought actually it, it might be good. Um, it might be good to keep the podcast going, just just to help people, so that we're still getting into God's Word uh, in the midst of everything going on, uh, just as a, a supplement to the sermons you're hearing on Sunday and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah. So I've decided we're going to uh, try and keep doing some podcasts uh, during this crisis and during the lockdown. Um, and we're up to John 16, which. I think is quite amazing because it it really does help speak into this situation. Um, if you remember, we're in the upper room discourse, uh, which is where Jesus has his last supper with his disciples. And in John, in in, in these chapters, chapters thirteen to sixteen, um, it's really all about Jesus trying to explain to his disciples that he's going away, uh, that he's about to die on the cross, and then he's going to um, return to his father. And he's trying to explain to them two things. He's trying to explain to them why he's going to die on the cross and what it will look like, what it will mean for them now that he is no longer physically with them. Um, And in John 16, he talks again about how I'm going to leave you. Um, And I just think this is incredibly uh, relevant uh, to what is happening right now because the great fear that happens when we don't have Jesus physically with us uh, is that we can we can start to think that God is somehow absent or uncaring, uh, or maybe he's, he's distant or unreachable. Either way, we can feel alone uh, and abandoned. And I think even more so uh, in times of great crisis, uh, where terrible things are happening in the world, we can't see Jesus. You know, what we can see uh, is lockdown. We can see unemployment. We can see... Um, businesses are being destroyed. We can see the virus spreading and people being um, put on ventilators. We can see death all around us. What we can't see is Jesus. And that can make us feel like he's not there or he's distant or he doesn't care. Um, But this could could not be further from the truth. Um, And uh, and so John 16, I think, I hope, I'm praying, will be helpful for us uh, to see why it's why it's actually good that Jesus um, has 
has gone away, so to speak. So I think the key verse here is uh, verse 7 in, in chapter 16. Jesus says this, he says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Now that's, that's hard for us to believe, hard for us to understand. We, we probably think, no, I, I think I'd like Jesus right next to me right now. <laughs> that, that would be better. I can't really see how it's for my good uh, that Jesus has gone away. But that's what John 16 is all about. And so hopefully as we go through this, we will see why it is good uh, that Jesus has you know, gone away and also why, why he hasn't abandoned us, why we can keep on going even in the midst of everything going on. So anyway, let's, let's jump into John 16. I think there's, there's kind of two, it's, it's a bit of a complicated chapter, but there's, there's two simple things that Jesus is saying here about his going away. The first is, is that his going away will mean that the, he will send the Holy Spirit and secondly, his going away will mean that our grief will turn to joy. So first of all, Jesus going away will mean that the Spirit will come. Uh, let's just pick it up again from, from verse 7. So he says, Very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong, uh, to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Okay, so Jesus says, actually, it's a good thing that I am going away because my going will mean that the Spirit will come. Now, we need to remember what Jesus means by going away. It doesn't just mean he's going to hop back up to heaven. No, his going away is speaking specifically about his going to the cross to die, rise again, and then ascend into heaven. Going away is Jesus' way of talking about salvation, okay? But yes, it does mean in order for us to be saved, he, Jesus will no longer be physically present with his disciples or with us anymore. But Jesus says, once I have done that, once I have achieved salvation for you, I've died on the cross, I've risen again, I've ascended into heaven, well, then the Holy Spirit will come. And that is actually good for you. Now, why? Well, there's kind of two things that we're told that the Holy Spirit will do. First of all, we're told that he is going to convict the world. Um, that, that, that term is really important that we understand because it kind of gives us the key to understand what Jesus says next about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So uh, the NIV 2011 says, when he comes, he will, prove the world, uh, he will prove the world wrong, or he will prove the world to be in the wrong uh, about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, in the earlier NIV, it says he will convict the world. It's a term that kind of suggests shaming the world or showing the world to be in the wrong. Um, and that's key because it helps us understand what Jesus is talking about. What the Holy Spirit is actually going to do is he's going to convict us of our sin. That is what he has come to do, uh, to show us that we are in the wrong so that we will turn and uh, seek forgiveness in Jesus. And when you think about it, this is exactly what Jesus has done. We talked about this in an earlier episode. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to do anything new. The Holy Spirit continues the ministry that Jesus begins on earth, but the Holy Spirit now continues to do it throughout time and, and, and in every place. And so what will the Spirit convict us of? The Spirit will convict the world of sin, 
of righteousness and of judgment. Now, it's a little bit confusing what Jesus says about each of these things. It's a bit hard to understand. But at the very least, let's not lose the big picture. The Spirit has come to convict the world of sin. Okay, The Spirit has come to convict us that we're in the wrong, that we need Jesus, that we need to be forgiven, that we need Jesus' death on the cross for us. That is why the Spirit has come. Now, to convict the world of sin, Jesus says, because they don't believe in me. Okay, so what the Holy Spirit does is he opens our eyes to see who Jesus is. And once we recognize who Jesus is, we realize I've been rejecting God my whole life. Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. I haven't been living his way. I've been living my way instead. And so as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, convicts the world of righteousness. Uh, We're told that's because Jesus won't be here anymore because he's going back to the Father. I think that simply means that while Jesus was on earth, He convicted the world of righteousness. That is, he showed that the world was wicked. Uh, That's exactly what what Jesus says in in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. He says that he is the light and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness hates the light because its deeds are evil. Jesus says the same thing in John chapter 7, uh, that the reason that the world does not like him is because he he shows that 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 they are wicked, that their deeds are evil. This is what Jesus has been doing all along. He's been shining this light which exposes Um, our wickedness in the same way the holy spirit now now that jesus is going back to the father the holy spirit is going to do the same thing as the as jesus is proclaimed as as the holy spirit opens our eyes to jesus the holy spirit opens our eyes to the light of jesus and that light shines on us and exposes our wickedness and then finally the holy spirit will convict the world of judgment and we're told that this is because uh, satan has now been uh, defeated Uh, he says the prince of this world now stands condemned. And I think what that's talking about is Jesus's vindication. So Jesus dies on the cross. Now, if that's all that happened, if Jesus just died on the cross, end of story, um, we would not be convicted of our judgment. Jesus will be convicted of his judgment. Okay, We would say, yeah, Jesus was guilty. We're fine. Jesus was guilty. He was terrible and we killed him for it. Uh, But that's not what happens. Jesus dies on the cross and then he rises again and ascends into heaven. And that means that he has now been vindicated. He is the true king of God's kingdom. Uh, and, and the prince of this world, Satan, he now stands condemned. Uh, the world uh, and, and the one behind the world, Satan, uh, the world is now exposed to be guilty of sin um, because Jesus has been shown to be the true king. Uh, and therefore, they are shown to be under God's judgment. Uh, That is exactly what Jesus' resurrection does. Jesus' resurrection shows that we are now under God's judgment. That's what Paul says uh, to to the Athenians uh, in Acts 17. He says that by raising Jesus from the dead, um, God has now shown that there is a day of judgment to come and that Jesus is going to judge us. And so, so the Holy Spirit, by opening our eyes to the truth of Jesus and the message of the gospel, will convict the world, uh, will convict the world of our sin of righteousness and of judgment. So that's the first thing we see that is going to happen now that Jesus is going away, that he's going to die on the cross, rise again, and ascend into heaven. He's going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit will convict the world of our sin. But what the other thing that the Spirit will do, we're told, is that the Spirit is going to lead the apostles into all truth. So again, verse 12, he says, I've much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. Now, it's really, really important that we remember that Jesus is talking to his apostles here because the job that Jesus gives his apostles is to go out and to share the truth, to spread the truth, to spread the message of Jesus. And the only way that they're going to be able to do that is if the Spirit 
actually leads them, guides them into all truth. And so this is the second thing that the Spirit is going to be doing. He is going to be giving us the apostolic message. That is, he's going to lead the apostles into all truth so that that truth can then be proclaimed to the world. The truth of Jesus, the gospel, can be proclaimed to the world. Uh, to put it another way, the Spirit is going to give us the New Testament. Okay, that is, That's what the apostolic message is. The message of the apostles is the New Testament. It's the gospel, the message of Jesus. And so Jesus going away is good because he will send the Spirit to give us the message of Jesus, the gospel. And so we're actually told two things that will happen when the Spirit comes. First, the Spirit will convict the world of their sin. And secondly, the Spirit will give us the apostolic message of Jesus, the gospel. And these two actually go hand in glove. We've talked about this a lot on this podcast, how word and spirit always go together. Okay, these two go hand in glove because how is it that the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment? Well, it's by the Spirit opening our eyes to Jesus, to the message of Jesus, to the gospel. And so the way that the Spirit will convict the world is by the message of Jesus, the gospel, being sent out. And so this is the, the, the sort of the twin working of the Spirit here. The Spirit gives us the gospel by leading the apostles into all truth. And in so doing, then he works in people's hearts to convict them of their sinfulness so that they will uh, turn and be saved. And can I just say, what this means is that we have a job to do. You know, the thing I love about this chapter is it shows that the Holy Spirit uh, people talk a lot about the Spirit, the, the, you know, the work of the Spirit in our lives and what the Spirit is doing in the world. What this shows is the Holy Spirit is an evangelist. Okay, That is the job of the Holy Spirit. That is what he has come to do. He has come for the evangelization of the world. Okay, He has come so that the message of the gospel will go out into the world, and as people hear it, he will convict the world of their sin. That is his job here in the world today. And so the Holy Spirit is the great evangelist, and we are to be working with him as evangelists in spreading this message that he has now given us. And, you know, with with everything going on with the coronavirus and all of that, surely this shows us now now is the time more than ever that people need to hear this message of salvation, that people need to hear this message of hope, this message of life. Okay, we need to join in what God is doing in evangelizing the world. And so it, it is good that Jesus has gone away. Okay, when you think about it, everything that the Spirit does is what Jesus was doing. But Jesus, because he came as a human, he could only operate in one particular place at one particular time. Okay, he, he couldn't operate at all places at all times as, as a human being just here on earth. But now that he has gone to the Father and he sits on high and he reigns and rules over the world, he has sent the Spirit who can now work at all places and in all times. And so what Jesus was doing 2,000 years ago, the Spirit, Jesus continues to do through his Spirit, I should say, Jesus continues to do through his Spirit today. And that is why it's good that Jesus has gone away and that the Spirit has come, so that the world can be evangelized as the gospel goes out and the Spirit convicts us of our sin. Okay, so that's the first reason why it's good that Jesus has gone away, because the Spirit has come. We are in the age of the Spirit, in the age of the evangelization of the world. The second reason why it's good that Jesus uh, is, is going away 
is because it means that our grief will turn to joy. Now, again, I can't stress this enough. We need to remember Jesus going away doesn't just mean he's gone back to heaven and he's doing nothing. Jesus going away is, uh, is shorthand for salvation. Okay, Jesus going away means he's going to die on the cross, rise again, and ascend into heaven to rule over the world. Okay, that's, sal- that's what he has achieved uh, through, through dying on the cross. He has achieved our salvation. And Jesus is saying this is good for us because it means that our grief will turn uh, to joy. And so, uh, again, in, in John chapter 16, um, Jesus says, verse 16, he says, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Now, the disciples have no idea what he's talking about. So then he explains, verse 20, Very truly I tell you, you will, me- you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And so what Jesus is saying is, is my going away, that is my dying on the cross, is going to cause grief. It's going to cause pain. You you will mourn. You will weep. It's a very bad thing that's happening, a very sad thing that's happening that Jesus is dying. It's even, I guess you could say, it's sad that that he's he's going away. He's not going to be physically present with them. But he says, in a very little while, your grief will turn to joy. Now, there's a bit of debate on what Jesus is talking about there when he says, in a little while, you'll see me again. Some people say it's the resurrection. Other people say it's when the Spirit comes. Other people say, no, it's, it's actually when Jesus returns uh, at the end of time. Uh, I think the best explanation is Jesus' resurrection. He's saying, I'm going away to die on the cross. In a little while, you'll see me again. I'm going to rise again. I think the reason that's the best explanation is because it best explains what Jesus says next. Um, so uh, Jesus says that... Um, his, that, that their grief will turn to joy. And the analogy that he uses is of a woman giving birth. Okay, So he says, uh, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets that anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Um, now, I can uh, tell you from first-hand experience, no, I, I didn't go through it, but my wife did. Three times I've witnessed uh, a birth, it is very painful, okay, incredibly painful, it, it hurts, not nice, uh, huge respect for my wife, she's amazing, she's done it three times, incredible, um, but she's done it three times, and I think at the very least that proves that you forget the pain, right, because if you remember that pain, you'd never go back, now why do you forget the pain, you forget the pain because there is something so much more joyful that comes afterwards. I think there's also some chemical releases that happen that kind of make you forget. But um, at least that's what I've heard from people. But 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 basically, you you go through all that pain, but you do it because there is this wonderful, great joy that is waiting for you at the end of it. Um, and and you know when, when you're holding that baby in your in your arms and you see uh, all everything that you've been waiting for, you know the the, the pain turns to joy. And Jesus uses this to describe his death on the cross. Yes, it's very sad and horrible that Jesus died on the cross. It is the worst thing that happened in the world. But our grief turns to joy because of what his pain produces. And it's, it's helpful that Jesus uses the, the childbirth analogy because what does the pain of labor bring? It, it brings life. And this is exactly what Jesus' death on the cross brings. It, it is sad that Jesus had to go away, that he had to die on the cross. But it brings us great joy because it gives us life, eternal life, salvation, and a relationship with God. And the wonderful thing uh, that, that, that I love about this is it says 
that you know while you're grieving that the world will um, will rejoice uh, but your grief will turn to joy and the reality is once you have that joy once you have that joy of salvation it cannot be taken away from you um, you know th- this is very helpful for us to hear with everything going on with the coronavirus because the world is grieving right now and, and it should be grieving I mean, and we should grieve with the world we should weep with those who weep but Whilst we might be grieving, um, we have a joy that cannot be taken away from us. That, that, is, that is amazing, isn't it? There is nothing, there is nothing that can take our joy away from us. Disease can't take our joy away from us. Unemployment can't take our joy away from us. Losing our business can't take our joy away from us. Going into hospital can't take our joy away, away from us. Even death, even death can't take our joy away from us. Our grief has turned to joy because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we now have life with God. Um, and, and so I think that's the, that's the first thing we need to understand about why it's good that Jesus has gone away because now we have a joy that cannot be taken. And, and the second thing that Jesus says is, is not only will um, Jesus going away bring us life, uh, but it brings us access to God. Uh, so so Jesus, uh, Jesus says, In that day, this is our verse 23, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. So our, our joy comes from having salvation in God, having life in God. That can't change. But our joy continues to come by now having access to God. We are brought into a relationship with God and we can now ask him for things. Now, it's, it's important that we understand what Jesus is talking about here. See, when Jesus was there on earth with his disciples and they were in need, they could ask him for things, right? They're on the boat, the storm comes, they think they're going to die. Oh, look, Jesus is in the boat. Maybe we could ask him to save us, okay? They can ask him for things. He's right there with them. They're going to be okay. And and that's exactly what they realize. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, calm, be still. And he says, why don't you have more faith? I'm right here with you. You don't need to be scared. See, while Jesus was with them, they could ask him for things. And because of that, they knew we're going to be fine. But what about when Jesus goes away? Well, Jesus says, you can ask my father for, for, for whatever you want. You can ask my father for whatever you want, and it will be given to you. Now, we need to clarify what that means in a second. But the point being is that we now have access to God the Father. Why? Because we've been brought into a relationship with God. We've become children of God, as we're told back all the way back in the prologue in John chapter 1. And because we've become children of God, because we now have access to the Father, we can ask whatever we want in Jesus' name, and it will be given to us. If I could, if I could put it like this, Jesus is still on the boat with us. You know, Jesus is—he hasn't abandoned us, and his Father will give us what we ask for. And again, I mean, what what an important time to hear that—that that, that we can have joy in the midst of the terrible things that are happening because we can talk to God, we can pray to Him, we have access to the Father. Now, we need to be careful here because obviously, um, Jesus isn't saying. Ask God for a Lamborghini and you'll get it. He's not even saying, ask God that you won't get coronavirus and you won't get it. What is he saying? Well, he, he says, you need to ask in my name. 
And we saw in the last episode in John 15 exactly what that's all about. Jesus has, has, has talked about this amazing new dynamic we have in our relationship with God. God has revealed everything to us, and now we are to receive what he's revealed, that is his will for us, and we are to obey him. Just exactly the same as the relationship between the Father and the Son, this is the relationship we now have. Okay, And so we are called to live in faithful obedience to God. Uh, we, we are called to do his will as revealed by Jesus. And so what are we meant to be praying for in the midst of, 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 of all this darkness, this, this panic, this fear of, of the coronavirus? Well, we should be praying that we can do God's will. We should be asking God to help us to obey him. Um, you, you know, I mean, th- think about it. With the coronavirus going on, what, what should we be praying for? The first thing that came to mind for me is I need to pray for faith. You know, God calls me to, to trust in him, and, and that's all well and good when, when things are fine and nothing bad is happening. It's a lot harder when the rubber hits the road, uh, and you really do start to wonder, will I be okay? Will my family be okay? Will we financially be okay? Will we, you, you know, will our lives even be okay, as a, as a lot of people are thinking about? You know, and God calls us to loving obedience, and he says, pray, and it'll be given to you. So I want to be praying, God, give me faith. Help me to trust in you in the midst of everything that's going on. I want to pray for perseverance. You know, this is, this is a long time, probably, that we're going to be stuck indoors and that this is going to go on. Um, and, and, you know, the, the first week, everyone was kind of chipper and, and making jokes and, and, you know, sort of happy about it. Where are we going to be in a month, two months' time? Um, when, when the death toll rises and, 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 and the, the, the fatigue sets in, where are we going to be? I'm going to be praying for perseverance. I'm going to be praying for love. You know, God, help me, even when I'm feeling overwhelmed, to not forget my neighbor and, and to reach out in love. Um, perfect love drives out fear. God, help me um, to, 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 to love others, to rest in your love. And, and the wonderful promise that, that, Jesus, um, that Jesus gives here, in verse 24, he says, Until now you've not asked anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive, and your joy will be complete. That is so helpful because our joy not only comes from what has happened in the past, that is Jesus' death on the cross, although it certainly comes from that. Okay? Our, our joy not only comes from knowing that we are saved, our joy continues and, and builds as we grow in loving obedience to God and we produce fruit. And so there is actually a way to be joyful even in the, in the midst of our experience of the coronavirus as we seek to obey God and do God's will throughout the coronavirus. We will, we will find joy in that as well. And, you know, I've seen a, a few people on Facebook talking about um, love in a time of corona, uh, sort of playing off that book, or was it a movie, um, Love in the Time of Cholera. Um, and I think that's great. We, we should love. But, but this passage made me think about joy in the time of corona. You know, that'll be the distinctively Christian thing, right? Uh, to have joy in the time of corona. And, uh, and this is where it comes from. It comes from the fact that Jesus has gone away that he's died on the cross and risen again and ascended on high because we have the joy of knowing, that the joy of childbirth, the joy of life, that we have life with God now because he died. And we have the joy even in the midst of our suffering and pain as we seek uh, to obey God and we ask him for help and we pray to him and he gives us what we need uh, in order to get through this and in order to do his will 
uh, in the midst of this. Uh, joy in the time of Corona. Uh, I think that'd be really wonderful, something to pray for. That's uh, what Paul tells us. Rejoice, I say again, rejoice. Um, and so, so this is this is what Jesus has to say for us. And I think verse thirty three really sums it all up. Uh, a very, very helpful thing for us to hear with everything going on. Verse thirty three: I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart: I have overcome the world. That's very helpful. In this world you will have trouble. <laughs> I don't think. Anyone needs convincing of that. But Jesus says, in me, you have peace. Take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's John 16. Okay, well, I just want to really quickly share some thoughts that I've had on the coronavirus um, over the past few weeks, um, just sort of helping us to think this through biblically. Um, there's, there's been a lot written about it uh, and a lot of people talking about it, so uh, I don't know if I'll necessarily be adding anything new here, um, but uh, th- these are some thoughts that, that I've had. The first one is a really obvious one, and that is that that this is bad. Um, I, I think I had a couple of moments where it was dawning on me how bad this is, um, and you know, I, and I think, okay, now I really see how bad it is. And then a couple of days later, I'm like, oh no, I, I had no idea. Now I know how bad it is. It just kind of keeps on building. Um, but but it is bad. Let, let let me give you some statistics. Um, it took 67 days from the first reported case. Uh, to reach 100,000 cases of coronavirus. Um, 11, that was 67 days. 11 days later, we reached 200,000. Four days later, we reached 300,000. And three days later, we are where we are now. We've reached 400,000. Um, and that's just people that, that have been tested. Uh, I'm sure the numbers are, are way bigger than that. Um, I saw a video on Facebook today um, that, that was shocking. It was a, a professor... Or, or a doctor, I can't remember which one, but anyway, it was legit. It was on a legit TV station as well, so, so uh, it, it was true. Um, and, and he was talking about how contagious the coronavirus is, and he said, compare it to the flu. And he said, that the, the flu has an infection rate of 1.3, uh, which means if I get um, the virus, I'll infect 1.3 people, if you, know, you could divide people up that way. Um, and, and if that continues 10 times... Uh, then I will have been responsible for 14 people getting the flu. Okay, 1.3, an infection rate of 1.3 means 14 people get the flu. Um, My wife had to explain the maths to me, but that's 1.4 to the power of 10. Coronavirus um, has an infection rate of 3. So flu is 1.3. Coronavirus has an infection rate of 3. That means if I get it, I will infect 3 other people. Um, Now, that doesn't sound like much difference. didn't sound like much difference to me. But apparently, if that continues 10 times, I will have been responsible for, for infecting 59,000 people. Um, and, and I mean, that, that just blew me away. That, that, that's the difference. After 10 sort of layers of transmission, um, for the flu, I would have been responsible for 14 people getting the flu. For the coronavirus, I'd be responsible for 59,000 people getting it. That is how uh, infectious uh, this disease is, which I guess is simply to say, stay home. 
um, you know, stay home if you can. I, I know in Australia there's a bit of a thing going on at the moment because they haven't um, closed the schools, but they've said um, if you can keep your kids at home. And I think that's kind of led to a bit of guilt tripping on parents who are still sending their kids to school. And can I just say, don't be a part of that. You don't know their situation. Everyone's situation is different. Worry about yourself, okay? Just just worry about yourself and make the best call for you. But, but I do think as Christians... Um, who are called to love our neighbor, this is part of that, okay? This is part of that. We need to think about that. Staying at home is actually loving our neighbor um, right now. Um, And it is getting bad. Over here in the UK, I think we're a little bit ahead of Australia. Um, I'm not sure about other parts of the world, if you're listening from from other parts of the world, but it's getting pretty bad everywhere. But here in the UK, it's pretty bad. I think it's a great mercy. I'm very thankful to God that kids don't seem to be getting that sick for the most part, I think I will be a lot, lot more worried and panicky if uh, if they were, obviously, with three young kids. Um, but having said that, it's not just old people or, or even not just vulnerable people who are getting sick. Um, here in the UK, we are starting to hear of young, healthy people who are getting really sick as well. Um, it, was, it was sad. There was a head teacher from a primary school uh, who died the other day. She was only 50. Um, it was a pa- there's a pastor in, in Cambridge where I live. Um, not my pastor, but, but, but another pastor, his 20, 20 year old son is intensive, is in intensive care right now, uh, on a ventilator. So I, I guess needless to say, I'm, I just want to say this is bad as everyone obviously can work out by now. Um, Christian response, love your neighbor as much as is possible. Stay at home, um, and, and, and try not to get infected, try not to infect other people so that the hospitals have a chance to get on top of this. That's the first thing this is about. Second thought, though, um, is that this is normal. Um, and, and I think this is really important. Um, I remember being taught, uh, you, you might have heard the saying before, you know, Christians need to have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And I, I remember Philip Jensen saying, no, that's wrong. Um, we need the Bible in order to understand the newspaper. Uh, and that is, the newspaper doesn't tell us what's going on in the world today. The Bible tells us what's going on in the world today. And, and the Bible actually interprets uh, the data for us. Okay, so, so newspapers, news channels, if, you, if you're anything like me, you've been switched, glued onto them for the past few days. Um, they will give you a worldly perspective on what is going on right now. Um, you need the Bible to, to actually give you a lens through which to see what's really happening in the world right now. Um, that's not to say that, that what's happening isn't bad. It is bad. I just said it's bad. But what the Bible also says is it's not only bad what's happening, it's incredibly normal what's happening right now. Um, it's not normal that we have a crazy virus, obviously. Um, but the Bible says, yeah, we, we live in a world of death. I mean, at the end of the day, what's changed exactly? Um, hundreds of thousands of people die every year in your country. Um, as a minister, I've, I've taken a lot of funerals in the past, I got to tell you, taking funerals gives you perspective. Um, usually, you probably go to like one funeral a year, maybe if that. Um, I would go to you know quite a few funerals each year, uh, and taking them gives you a bit of perspective because you're kind of on the other side of the funeral. You're kind of running the funeral, and the the crematorium tells me each time I've only got 45 minutes, and then we've got to be out. They're really really strict on time. Why are they really really strict on time? Because a lot of people die. And a lot of people need to come in and, and they're, they're chock-a-block every single day. Now, that's going to increase even more um, with the coronavirus going on. But at the end of the day, it's not as though people dying is a new thing. People die every single day. Uh, Rookwood Cemetery, where I used to take funerals, you know, 10 a.m., 11 a.m., 12 p.m., 1 p.m., 2 p.m., 
new grieving family would rock up. Why? This is, the, this is normal. This is not the new normal. This is just normal. We live in a world of death. I think it's really important that, that, that we understand that. that. That is not to minimize what is happening or not to say what's happening isn't bad or that we shouldn't take it seriously. Of course it's bad. Of course we should take it seriously and we should do everything we can to stem the tide of the virus. But don't be fooled into thinking that people are suddenly dying when in the past they never used to. Uh, C.S. Lewis um, gave a sermon sort of as, as, as World War II broke out. He gave a sermon in Oxford um, to, to students and, uh, and, and it, it was called Learning in Wartime. Uh, and let me read to you something he said. He said, I think it important to try to see the present calamity in a true perspective. The war creates no absolutely new solution. It simply aggravates the permanent human situation so that we can no longer ignore it. Human life has always been lived on the edge of a precipice. And, and I think that is, that is spot on with this virus as well. Uh, a true perspective shows that we are not in an absolutely new situation. Human life has always been on the edge of, the pre- of a precipice. We have always been facing death. We live in a world of death. What isn't normal is our attitude to death, our usual attitude to death, because we're so good at hiding it these days. You know, we, we tuck it away in nursing homes and hospital beds. We, we bury death in limousines. But the reality is, you know, I don't want to be bleak, but if coronavirus doesn't get you, something else eventually will. Okay, uh, you know, the death rate is 100% for every single person ever since Adam and Eve. And, and I think what the coronavirus might actually be doing, or what I hope it at least does, is that it pulls back the veil and it shows us once again what our world is really like, that actually we're living in a world of death. And, and, and I pray that that happens because hopefully that means that people will start to, you know, as Psalm 90 says, start to number our days, that we actually won't get distracted by the, the ridiculous minutiae of day-to-day life that, that, we, that we think is the most important thing in the world, and we look for bigger answers. And, and it might actually lead people to seek God and to find forgiveness in Christ. Um, but, but the one, one thing we must realize is, is that... The, this is not the new normal. This is normal. This is normal. This is, this is the world we live in. Um, and so our response to this should be our response to a world of death, which is to seek life in Christ. Um, last thing, la- last reflection really quickly um, is on what we should be doing as Christians during this time. Now, I've already spoken a bit about this already, but um, I was preaching on Sunday. It was our first uh, virtual church Sunday, if you could put it like that. Had an interesting discussion with with a friend about, you know, well, what is church? Did we have church um, when uh, w- when we were all online? Um, but that's a topic for another day. Anyway, on Sunday I was preaching, and so I pre- I, I, I pre recorded a video, and uh, we we got up to Mark chapter three, um, where Jesus' uh, mother and brothers uh, want to see him because they think he's insane. And Jesus says, you know, who are my mother and brothers? And then he turns to those sitting at his feet and he says, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does um, God's will is my brother and mother and sister. Um, And I I spoke to my rector and I said, do you want to change the passage? You know, do you want to do something, you know, coronavirus related? And, you know, in his wisdom, uh, he said, no, let's let's keep a new level of normalcy. And to be honest, um, you know, I was in two minds about it as well because the, the whole premise of this podcast is let the word do the work. 
um, and and we believe that that God should set the agenda on what we should listen uh, listen to and, and, and talk about. Um, and I was so glad that we did that because Mark chapter 3 actually had a really helpful word for us in the midst of the coronavirus um, because Jesus is explaining who the true people of God are. You know, it's, it's not the religious people who say that, that Jesus is a demon. It's not the, the relatives of Jesus who think that Jesus is insane. The true people of God are the people who are sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him, learning from him, and in so doing, do the will of God. Um, and I thought, well, what a helpful message for us on our first Sunday where we can't meet together. Um, what is what is the one thing that God's people, that God's family uh, will keep doing during this crisis? Um, and the one thing is, is that they will keep sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him, learning from him, and in so doing, uh, do the will of God. And that's a, that's a really, really important thing for us to remember. Um, because with, with everything going on, there's a lot of things that we can be doing, and I'm sure there's a lot of things that we should be doing, but the one thing that we must keep on doing is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him, and learning from him. That is what's going to get us through this. Okay, That is what's going to sustain us. That's what's going to give us joy as, as we're reminded of what Jesus has done on the cross for us and as, as we're encouraged to, to obey God and to go, to go back to him. That's what's going to help us. Um, and so that's what we need to keep on doing. And that's what's also going to send us out. That's what's going to send us to... Um, to go out into the world and to proclaim the message of Jesus, to keep on with the work of, of evangelizing and to love people in the midst of this crisis. Um, and so I think that that's a really helpful thing for us uh, to hear, and that, that's why we're going to keep on doing this podcast, uh, because I want to help you, along with sermons from church and everything else, I want to help you to keep sitting at Jesus' feet, keep listening to Jesus uh, so, that, so that we can keep on doing um, God's will. Well, that's it. Uh, that's it for us uh, for this episode. I just want to finish with a sign of grace. Um, I mean, now more than ever, that's an important thing for us to be doing, isn't it? Keep looking for signs of grace. Keep looking for where you can see God being good to you uh, today. And one, one thing I'm really happy for is, you know, with everything else going on, um, we are spending more time together as a family. That's a bad thing as well. That's a pretty hard thing, um, especially especially for my wife, who's doing the the, the bulk of, of of the stuff with the kids with, with homeschooling and everything now. Um, so that's I, I get that that's really really hard. But there's something really nice about that as well um, that that we are spending more time together as a family, and especially uh, you know there's opportunities for us to spend more time doing Bible stuff together as well, um, which which I'm excited about. You know we're, we're thinking about how to do that now and. I'm excited about that. I kind of hope that what might come out of this is a strengthened church where where families are actually stronger because they've been uh, getting into God's word together and growing together. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a sign of grace. Anyway, that's it uh, for this episode of The Word Grows. Uh, as I said, hopefully I will be able to continue doing some episodes now that I'm at home more uh, and hopefully it will be encouraging uh, throughout this uh, coronavirus um, otherwise, uh, I hope that all of you are staying healthy, staying safe, and continuing uh, to stick with God and his word. 
Um, my name's Tom Abib, and you're listening to The Word Grows. Mm-hmm.